Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. Today, John delivers a message of hope with this sermon, the baptism and filling of the Holy Spirit. Let's begin reading Acts chapter 1 and verse number 1. Luke is writing this. Remember, Luke, this is the second volume. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. And he wrote both letters. He dedicated them to a man named Theophilus. That's actually who he wrote them to, probably a high-ranking official. And here's what he says. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Since Easter, we've been focusing on this 40-day period in the life of Christ before he returned to earth, to heaven rather, from earth. What did he do? He encouraged people, he helped people, and now he's gone up into heaven heaven, or he's about to here in verse 4, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, what was the promise that Jesus had made? Jesus had said in John chapter 16 that after he returned to heaven, the Holy Spirit would be sent. The Father would send the Holy Spirit onto the earth to indwell, to live within the heart of all the believers. That was the promise he had made, and he's describing the coming of the Holy Spirit in an interesting way. He uses this phrase, baptism. John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so we're thinking this morning about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the first question is, well, what in the world is it? Maybe that's a phrase you've heard in your life, the baptism of the Spirit. What does it mean to be baptized with the Spirit? Well, Jesus compared the baptism with the Spirit to the baptism that John gave, John the Baptist, which was water baptism. Now, what do we know about water baptism? When a person is baptized, they're lowered under the water, and they're lifted back up. They, why do we do it like that? It's a picture of salvation. The person being baptized, when they're baptized, that's their way of saying to everyone who's watching, I have died to an old way of living, and I've been raised to walk in a brand new way of life. So baptism is not salvation. Baptism doesn't save anybody. It's a picture of salvation. But the point I'm making here is when a person is baptized, there are a few seconds there where that person is completely covered by the water. They're under the water. And so Jesus said, John baptized like that. He put people under the water. But in a few days, you're going to be experiencing a different type of baptism, and that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does this mean? It means that when a person receives this baptism, it's a spiritual baptism, that they are covered not by water, but they are covered by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, what does this mean? 
What does it mean to be covered by the Holy Spirit? Well, the first thing that is covered would be our sins. Our sins are covered. In fact, even better than that, our sins are washed away, not through the water baptism, but when we're baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not only that, our minds are covered. And now we have thoughts about God. Our thoughts are more spiritual. Our thoughts are more godly. Our hearts are covered with peace. Our countenance is covered with joy. When a person is baptized with the Holy Spirit, we're covered with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing we need to remember about the Holy Spirit baptism. When we experience that, it is an invisible covering that produces a visible change. Like, in other words, right now, I'm looking out across this room. I can't see the Holy Spirit in your heart. I can't see the Holy Spirit on your life, and you can't see that in me. But if we have been baptized in the Spirit, we have an invisible covering that produces a visible change so that a person who has been baptized with the Spirit is different from a person who never has experienced that baptism. This is why, as a Christian, that you can meet a total stranger, and within less than one minute, you should be able to determine whether or not that person is truly saved. Sometimes you might be on an airplane, and you sit down by a complete stranger. You don't know them, and they look at you and smile and say hello, and you look at them and smile, and you don't talk about God, you don't talk about the Bible, you don't talk about the church. None of that comes up, but you're just looking at them, and you're just kind of getting a vibe from them. And I've had this experience many times, and the flight takes off, and we begin to talk about different things, and somewhere in that conversation, sure enough, I'll discover, well, this person is saved. They've just shared with me when they received Christ as Savior. But after they tell me that, I think to myself, well, I already knew it. Now, how did I know somebody was saved before they told me they're saved? Because the Holy Spirit who lives in us can recognize the Holy Spirit who lives in somebody else. It's the same Holy Spirit. You've always heard the expression, the eyes are the window to the soul. Well, if a person is saved, you look in their eyes and you're looking into their soul. So that means if they're saved, there's spiritual life in their soul. Whereas if they're unsaved, you look in their eyes, they may have pretty eyes, nice color eyes, but you don't see life. You don't see, you see, in fact, you see the opposite of life. You see emptiness and you see death. This is why sometimes I'll say, I'll meet a person and I'll say, I just felt a kindred spirit with that person. Sometimes you'll meet somebody and you'll say, man, I've just met this person, but I feel like I've known them all my life. Now, what is that? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit in you. It's the Holy Spirit in them. The Holy Spirit is an eternal spirit. And so we sometimes we'll feel like that. And we can recognize people even if we have never met them. And we can recognize that the Spirit of God is living in them. Now, the question is, when does the baptism of the Holy Spirit take place? Sometimes you might hear a person from a different Christian background and they've been taught differently about the baptism of the Spirit and they might come up to you and say, well, now, have you ever been saved? And you say, oh, yeah, I've been saved. I've got Jesus living in my heart. And then they'll say to you, well, have you received the baptism? Have you received the baptism of the Spirit or are you still waiting on that? Well, what, are they, what do these people mean? What, what they mean by that is they believe that conversion takes place and out here somewhere later, another experience takes place that takes place that they call the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where they say this is when a moment a person is baptized in the Spirit, and they say when that happens, they give evidence of that by speaking in tongues, speaking in languages that they have never learned. And so they make a distinction between conversion and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I have friends who believe that way, and I love them with all of my heart. But I have to say in this message today, in being true to Scripture, that is not what the Scripture teaches.
The Scripture does not teach that the baptism of the Spirit is an experience that takes place subsequent to salvation. That doesn't mean there aren't other experiences we have with God, but it's a mistake to call that the baptism of the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit takes place when a person is saved, when they repent of their sins, and when they trust Christ as Savior. And I'll show you a verse that teaches that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at this, in verse 13, Paul is writing to a group of Christians, to a church in Corinth. And notice what he says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. He's saying when a person is saved, they are baptized into the body of Christ. Not water baptism. Water baptism comes after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place at the moment of salvation. So that, you still listen, say amen. When a person is saved, they receive all of the Holy Spirit that there is to receive. We don't get the Holy Spirit in installments. We receive all of the Holy Spirit. Now, as we go on with God, the Holy Spirit gets more of us later on. That's what some of these other experiences are. But when we're saved, we receive all of the Holy Spirit that there is. I can say it this way. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a one-time experience that happens at the moment of salvation. The filling of the Holy Spirit, by contrast, is something, is an experience that we should have with God every single day where we are filled from the top of our heads to the bottom of our feet with the Holy Spirit of God. Which leads me to this question. How is a person filled with the Holy Spirit? If we're baptized in the Spirit and with the Spirit when we get saved, we have this invisible covering now that produces a visible change. The question is, well, how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? In other words, if I received all the Holy Spirit there was when I got saved, how can I now be filled with the Holy Spirit? So it is as though the Spirit of God is just filling me up and oozing out of me onto everybody that I come in contact. How can we be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, turn a few pages to the right. I want to show you this verse in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Paul says, and do not be drunk with wine. So this is the command that a person should not, you should not do that, in which is dissipation. But instead of that, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, notice how the Christian Standard Bible, there's a lot of translations, and I don't use the Christian Standard Bible, but it hit a home run on this verse. Notice what it says. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. Now, when we think of being filled with the Spirit, Paul has said, don't be drunk with wine. Instead of that, be filled with the Spirit. So he's talking about wine. We're already thinking about a liquid that we shouldn't have. And now he's saying instead of that, the Holy Spirit. So I think most Christians, and for years I thought of it this way, we think of the Holy Spirit as a liquid, and we're the container. And we're just asking God to fill us up with this liquid of the Holy Spirit. That's actually not the right metaphor. That's actually not the right way to look at that. It's not that the Holy Spirit is a liquid and we're a container. It is instead that the Holy Spirit is a person and we are the body in which he lives. And so to be filled with the Spirit is to give the, is to give the Holy Spirit full access to every part of our body, to every part of our lives. That's what it means to be filled. How is a person filled with the Spirit of God? We're filled with the Spirit of God. Now, 
It took me years, and a, a former pastor of this church, Darrell Robinson, explained this to me one time in the most simple way, and it changed my, how I look and how I understand being filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, John, when a person drinks alcohol, if they drink too much alcohol, what does that do? That alcohol causes them to act in ways they wouldn't normally act. He said, by contrast, if a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, now the Holy Spirit is making that person act in ways they would not otherwise act. In other words, they used to have gotten mad. Now they're more calm and relaxed and forgiving and not so uptight. They used to would have been anxious and worried and stressed out. Now they're peaceful and calm and everything's going to be okay. So the Holy Spirit is changing. I said, yes, I understand that part. But how, how do we go about being filled with the Spirit? He said, John. The way we go about being filled with the Spirit is by obeying the Spirit. And it, when he first said that, I didn't see the connection between obeying the Spirit and being filled. So he explained it more. He said when we obey God and do what he tells us to do, remember, he's living inside of us. And what that does, that makes him more comfortable. Now he has more access, more control of our lives because we're obeying him. And so it's like the Holy Spirit is saying, yes, you're doing what I want you to do, yes. And so now the Holy Spirit is more at home in our lives. And so that's how we're filled. The more we obey, the more freedom and fullness we have of the Spirit of God living in our lives. Now, let me, let me use this illustration. Let me give this illustration. I think it makes the point. Let's just play like today after the service that I'm talking to you, and I invite you to come to my house and eat lunch. I want to prepare lunch for you today. Now, we're really having to use our imagination right now in this illustration. Unless you want scrambled eggs and waffles, oh, we're really having to use our imagination. If you want that, maybe we can get together. And so I say, I want you to come to my house this afternoon. I, I want to prepare lunch for you. There's a ball game on today. Let's watch the game together, and let's just talk and spend the afternoon together. You say, well, John, I don't have any plans. If you really want me to come over, I'm coming. And so you follow me home, and I'll bring you into my house, kind of show you around. I say, now, listen, while you're here, I want you to make yourself at home. You have full access to this house. You do whatever you want to do. You just make this, make my house your home. You say, John, I really appreciate that. So we eat lunch, and after lunch is over, we go in the living room, turn the TV on, Astros are playing, and I say, look. I know you're a big Astros fan, and, and I like them too, but today I need to go in the other room, and I need to make some phone calls. I need to write a few letters. I, I need to do a few things in my study. But while I'm gone, you just sit here and watch the game. And so you say, that sounds like a good plan. Well, about an hour later, I say, well, I'm going to go check on my friend. I want to be a good host, and I feel like I've kind of abandoned him. And so I come back in here, but you're not in the living room. And I think, well, maybe he stepped in the, in, the, in the bathroom. But I look in the guest bathroom, and the door's open, light's on. You're not in there. I think, well, now, where is this person? So I kind of start walking around my house, and lo and behold, I find you in my shirt closet. And you're going through my long sleeve shirts. And you're just looking at him. And I say, what, what, what are you doing? Can I help you with something? You say, well, no, John, I was just noticing you've got all these shirts, and it seems like you've categorized these shirts. You've got your casual shirts, your dress blue shirts, subdivided, buttoned down, not buttoned down, white shirts, subdivided, buttoned down, not buttoned down, your expensive shirts at the front. It just, and I say, well, you've cracked the code. That's how I hang my shirts. But it's weird to me that you're in my shirt closet. Why are you in here? You said, John, you, you invited me over, and you told me I had full range of the house. I said, yeah, but I didn't really anticipate you coming into my closet. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought when you said that, that's what you really meant. So we go back, and you get back in the living room. We're watching the game. I'm back in the study, and about an hour later, I come back out again. You're not there. Hey, this is odd. You're not in the guest bathroom. So I go, where is the person now? So I go back, and now I find you in my medicine cabinet. You're looking at my toothpaste. I'm thinking, well, now I'm going to have to sterilize that. You've touched my toothpaste. 
You're looking at my medicine. I said, now what, what, what can I help you? No, I just was seeing what kind of medicine you take. And I say, well, thankfully, unless I'm sick, I don't take any medicine. But to be honest with you, I just don't feel comfortable having somebody in my, in my medicine cabinet touching all my things. Why don't we just come back and, okay, well, I, I'm sorry, John. I, when you said come over and make yourself at home, I thought you meant come over. I, was just, I thought I had full. Yeah, but I didn't mean it quite like that. Okay, so come back out there. Same thing happens. I'm back in the study. Returning phone calls. You're in there watching the Astros. About an hour later, I come out again, and you're not there. Guest bathroom. Lights off, doors open, you're not in there. I'm thinking, where's this person at? Well, now you have discovered where I hide my checkbook. And you're going through my checkbook. Well, now I'm thinking, now you've crossed, you've, you had already crossed a line, but you really crossed a line now. And I say, what, what are you doing looking at my check? Well, John, I just always wondered how much money you had. And I just wanted to know, uh, you always talk about how frugal you are. I assume you got a lot of money if you don't spend any of it. And I said, well, no, not really, but, and you said, I just wanted to see how much you had, and I wanted to see kind of who you write your, and I said, look, I, this is just not working out, and I don't want to be rude and mess up a friendship, but you've been in my closet, you've been in my medicine cabinet, now you're in my checkbook, and I, I'm just going to have to ask you to leave. And you say, okay, John, if you want me to leave, I'll leave, but again, I was just doing what I thought I could do because you told me I had free access to your house, and so, but I ask you to leave, and you get in your car, and you drive off and leave. Now, here's my question. After you drive off my street, is my house full of you or empty of you? It's, it's thankfully empty of you, right? Because you're gone now. Well, in that scenario, me asking you to leave my house, that's exactly what you would have done to me had I come to your house and gone through your belongings like that. So in a human relationship, that's just kind of, we don't, there's boundaries. You just don't do that with people you're not family with or married to. and You just don't do that type of stuff. But here's the problem. That's what many Christians do with the Holy Spirit. They get saved back here one day, and they convicted of sins. They want their sins forgiven, and they pray and ask Jesus to save them, change them, forgive them, and come into their life. And that person is truly born again from above. And yet life goes on, and the Holy Spirit, who's wanting to fill us up, who's wanting to have free access to every room in our house, what does the Holy Spirit do? He comes along and He begins to walk into rooms in our lives and He says to us, now this room needs to be rearranged. What room are you talking about, Holy Spirit? I'm talking about the money room. I'm looking at how you're spending your money. And I notice you don't tithe. And I notice you buy other things you can't afford. And I notice you make other purchases that you actually can afford, but you didn't consult me on. You just kind of feel like if I've got the money, I can do it. And you don't understand in the Christian life, just because you have money, that doesn't mean you can buy everything you want. You still have to ask me and get a green light before you move forward. And so what I'm doing, you wanted me to take control of your life. What I'm here to do today is to totally reorganize the money room of your life. You say, well, God... When I asked you to come into my life, what I really meant was I wanted my sins to be forgiven. I wanted to go to heaven. I wanted lots of peace. I, when I go through hard times, I really need you, God, to help me then. But as far as you telling me how to spend my money now, when I asked you into my life, I wasn't even thinking about my money. So I'd rather you not be in the money room. Holy Spirit says, okay. If you don't want to be in the money room, I won't be in the money room. Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He only comes and stays where he's invited to be. So he backs out of the money room, and then we go on with life. And the Holy Spirit walks into the entertainment room of our lives. And he says, I noticed some of the things you're doing in the name of entertainment are borderline at best, sinful at worst, 
And so what I need to do, I want to totally give a renovation to the entertainment room of your life, how you spend your leisure, things you watch, movies you see, places you go, things you do to relax. What I want to do, it needs to be renovated. It's not right. You say, wait a God, wait a second. When I ask you in my life, again, I was thinking about peace and joy and heaven and not having to go to hell. And now you're telling me what I can do in my free time. I didn't really, I wasn't really thinking about you in that respect. The Holy Spirit, okay, you don't want me in there. I won't be in there. So time goes by. And the Holy Spirit goes into another room of our lives. It's the relationship room. And the Holy Spirit says, you've got a relationship or maybe several relationships going on here that are immoral, that are not right, that are sinful. And if I'm going to fill you up, I've got to clean this room out. And so here's what I'm doing. I'm renovating the relationship area in your life. But in order to do that, there's some things you're going to have to do. You're going to have to obey. So what is that, God? Again, for the third time, when I asked you into my life, it was really for peace, joy. Wouldn't have to be worried when I die. I know I'm going to heaven. But now you're telling me who I can be in a relationship with? If you want me to fill that room up, that's exactly what I'm telling you. Say, God, I'd rather you not be in the relationship with back out. And he just, we could illustrate this all day, the work room. And, and he just wants to take total control of all that. And yet, we say, I don't want. So, what I'm saying is, when we begin to say to God, now, we would never say that to God. Not a one of us, I would be afraid God would strike me dead if I said to God, I don't want you in a certain part of my life. We don't say that to God. But we communicate that to God by not doing what he's told us to do. And so since we're not being obedient, which would allow him to fill up every room of our lives, and then we would be full of the Holy Spirit. It's not just, God, you're a Holy Spirit's a liquid. I'm a container. Fill me up, and I'm going to do whatever I want to do with my money. I'm going to entertain myself however I want to. Whatever relationship I want, that's what I'll do. And as far as work, I'll work where I want to work and do what I want to do. But, God, I just want you to fill me with your spirit. God said, that's not how it works. In order to be filled with the Spirit, you have to give God access, control to every single room in your life. Now, think about this. The reason that so many Christians are empty, they're dead on the inside. They're, I mean, the Holy Spirit hasn't left them. Once you get the Holy Spirit, He'll never completely leave. He just, if you don't let Him have room, uh, control of all those rooms, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. But the reason that so many people are empty is because they've blocked the Holy Spirit off to these different areas in their lives that he's wanting to address. By contrast, if we just say, Lord, okay, all these rooms, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. He says, well, if that's how we're going to operate, I'm going to fill you up with me. I want to mention specifically how a person can be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is, you've already been baptized. You've already been saved by the Spirit of God. Baptized with His Spirit. But how can you be filled? Number one, desire it. It will never happen unless you first have a desire for it. Notice what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. But in that verse, notice, the hungering and the thirsting comes before the filling. You're not going to be filled with the Spirit if you don't want to be filled with the Spirit. The psalmist said the same thing, Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? The psalmist said, my, just like the deer pants for the water brooks on a hot, dry day. The psalmist that's what that's what I'm like for God. I'm thirsty for God. 
Could you say that about yourself today? Second thing we have to have, not just a desire for it, we have to pray for it. And we have to say, God, I'm asking you to, uh, to fill me with your spirit. And the third thing is we receive it by faith. We receive that. Mark chapter 11 and verse 24. Notice what Jesus said. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. The next thing we have to do, we just have to obey God and give Him access to every single room in our life. So the question is, have you given God free range, total access to every room in your life? Do you desire the presence of the Holy Spirit in your heart? If you do, please contact us by sending an email to info at peacebybelieving.org or by giving us a call at 1-800-337-0157. Also, you can go to our website, peacebybelieving.org, and look for the Find Peace tab. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.